Welcome back to Scriptures with Mom and Terry. I'm the mom, Linda Weiniger, and we're coming to you from the treadmill to make sure we stay awake and alert. And little Flora is currently two years old, watching none other than Blippi. And of course, if she decides to date a guy with orange suspenders, we're going to blame it on watching Blippi. And dad would probably blame it on me. I would blame it on dad. It's fine. Oh, and a bow tie. <laughs> Remember when you used to watch Blippi Flora? Anyways, I do like this guy though, because he's courageous enough to talk silly and be crazy for kids. But it is a little bit weird to watch a grown man do all these things. So we like, we like to put on the cartoon version now. I'm so glad he has a cartoon. Anyways, we're not talking about that. We're talking about Jesus. We're talking about scriptures. Okay. And one of the redheaded hostess tips today, or actually I guess she has five tips to help children be in the scriptures. And this is cool because she kind of validates the fact that we like giving our kids scriptures before they are eight. But somehow in our culture, part of Sometimes, some, somehow in our culture, it seems like they're supposed to get their own set at eight, but they definitely need their own set beforehand so that they can get um, used to scriptures and used to looking at pages. So we usually get you guys the little scriptures, the military or missionary scriptures, so that you can mark them up and, and make them feel like they're your own until, you know, you do get to be eight However, it is a little bit sad that everyone thinks they can't mark up their scriptures. Like, they need to keep it super clean. Like, that is the whole point of your scriptures is to mark it up so that you can remember these things. And you can always get a copy of the Book of Mormon for $2 or $3 um, over at the Deseret Book. Or you can even order them online, I think, for that much. It's super, super affordable. I think the military version is... It, the smaller ones are a little bit more just because they're specialized. But anyways, um, and then some tips that they, that they, that she gives to help our kids. Now I like to put these tips in here so that we don't forget. And so that in case our kiddos are listening to this at some point when they get older, they'll have, some tips in case they need them also because I think that redheaded hostess has really great ideas and so that we can implement some when we need to so okay five tips to help children be in the scriptures so one even if you're telling a scripture story in your own words to small children still open the scriptures and point to names and let your children find more of those names this can help your younger children understand that the stories they are learning are from the actual scriptures Oh, that's a great idea. And it also helps with like learning to read and stuff and identify words. Okay. Number two, use scripture stickers. Oh, I love scripture stickers. One reason we include scripture stickers in the weekly kits. Okay. So they have scripture stickers that they include, um, that go with the stories and we can place them in our scriptures or we, they can put them in their journals or whatever. Um, so that they know, that where the story takes place and you guys can find them easier as this, as the years go by. Um, something that I, I totally loved scripture stickers. Now, when I grew up in Florida, they didn't have Deseret book or, um, the church didn't have online ordering back then, you know, believe, believe it or not. And like, we didn't even know about EFY. That's how bad it was. Cause I would have totally went, or I would have at least wished that I could have gone. But anyway, so, and we were in the Span Hispanic, like Spanish speaking word. And so it was like totally different, I think, culture. But, um, so we never had those kinds of fun things. And I think when I was in seminary, one of our teachers gifted us some scripture stickers and... It was so cool. I remember like going to each 
story and each page and just putting those stickers and you can put them right on top of the scriptures like and it was so perfect and it would just fit so awesomely right there now that being said i've gifted our boys scripture stickers and you guys have not used them and i don't know what i don't know what the problem is what the problem is like they're so cool to use and they're all cut out and everything i guess technically now that i have my fidgety print shop i can print them on clear paper these stickers that redheaded hostess has so we should be doing that but you guys have those other scripture stickers that we've been given so that's probably what i'm going to talk about later with you guys is to get your scripture stickers out and let's start putting them in there because it does make it so cool okay number three explain the process so scripture language is difficult and it takes a lot of practice learning and revelation to, uh learn sorry takes a lot of practice learning and revelation to understand what the scriptures are saying everyone has to go through this process help your children understand that it is supposed to be hard okay remember i talked about that last episode many children's teens and adults feel bad or guilty when they have a difficult time understanding the scriptures facts they often feel like something is wrong with them because they don't understand them also true so help take this burden off of your children's shoulders by explaining that it is a process and the more they work at it the easier it will become it is normal to not understand scripture language this is part of the process but those who continue to work at it until the scriptures become clearer will find innumerable innumerable treasures that will bless their lives in ways that cannot that they cannot comprehend so true it's always worth it okay number four and I've get worn out more because I put the incline on. Maybe I'm going to go back to zero for now. Okay. <clears throat> um, from, from, she says, for my younger children, I do not have a lot of rules when they are underlining and marking their scriptures. Oh, good, because with Flora, we just let her go at it with some highlighters and her scriptures. And I tell them, she says, and I tell them to treat their scriptures with respect but that's about it. If they want to put a ton of pictures or markings on a page, they think that is beautiful, I let them do it. If they want to write something huge in the margins, great. I want them to love the scriptures at every stage of their life. So I give them lots of fun marking pencils and tools, let them go. And tools and let them go. And what I have found is that they grow. Their marking preferences change and it's really fun process to watch. I do think that's awesome. Like I have noticed that with the boys as well. Um, let's see for number five, tip number five for children who can read the scriptures, marking guides in your weekly kits are specifically designed to help children have successful scripture experiences on their own, teach scripture skills. So they become more and more com comfortable with the scriptures and they help your children gain confidence that they can understand the scriptures, that the scriptures hold many valuable stories and teachings that will guide them through their life. And I think that's awesome. Okay, so now we're gonna be reading Matthew 26 and Mark 14 and John 13. Um, and this is covering like the Last Supper. It says, during the Last Supper, Jesus washed the feet of his disciples and then identified Judas as the one who would betray him. Judas then left and Jesus gave some final teachings to his disciples. These teachings will be further studied next week. And Jesus then instituted the sacraments so that they could, that they and us can always remember him. Okay, so washing feet. This is from, uh, given to Joseph Smith in December 1832. And this is found in the church history topic. It says, a revelation to Joseph Smith in December 1832 required participants in the school of the prophets to participate in the washing of the feet. The Lord commanded the elders to clean your hands and your feet before me as witness that they were clean from the blood of this wicked generation. Joseph Smith and other members of the school first participated in this ordinance during the school's first session in January 1830. As the construction of the Kirtland Temple neared completion, Joseph Smith explained to members of the school that the ordinance of washing of feet was a restoration of the New Testament practice 
calculated to unite our hearts and prepare the elders for an endowment of spiritual power. He further taught that the ordinance needed to be performed in a place aside from the world. Huh. There you go. I didn't know that. Okay, so we're going to read Mark 14 and then Mark or Matthew 26. So, so Mark 14, 1 to 9 says, And after two days was the feast of the Passover and the unleavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. So like in a secret way, right? By craft, craftiness. And not like by doing crafts, okay? But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people, like a riot, right? It's true, like you would, you would not be able to take Jesus on the Sabbath, right? So it would be like trying to take Jesus on a Sunday. Sorry, it looked like Flora fell down for a minute and we just had to help her out. Okay, so they're plotting against Jesus. Um, verse number three, and being in Bethany in the house of Simon, the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. And she break the box and poured it on his head. So it's like pure and expensive perfume, right? And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. Yeah, I'm sure that they wanted to give it to the poor. Uh, and Jesus said, let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always. And whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me ye have not always. She hath done what she could. She is come aforehand. To anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial, memorial of her. Right? And like, because she did that, now she's in the scriptures. What an awesome woman, right? Love her for being courageous enough to do that. Because it, obviously it wasn't something that was an easy thing because people were going to talk bad and she figured that was it but she didn't care and i'm glad that she did so um jesus's passover feast will be the last supper and here in these verses we can hear the drumbeat of the jewish leaders as they sp spent this passover planning on how they would slay the lamb of god the wording used both by mark and matthew captures this scheming that went into their their plans it's so true so and then i'm going to read matthew 1 to 16 right here it says and it came to pass when jesus had finished all these things he said unto his disciples ye know that after two days is the feast of the passover and the son of man is betrayed to be crucified then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people unto the place unto the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas, and consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. So, like in secret, right? Covertly. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. Again, right? Now, when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment. Well, that he didn't want to spell out the other ointment. And poured it on his head, and he sat at meat. Okay, so we know that that was that pure and expensive perfume, oil. And But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she, she hath brought a good work unto me. For ye have the poor always with you but me we have not always for in that she hath poured his this ointment on my body she did it for my burial verily i say unto you wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world there shall also this that this woman hath done be told for a memorial of her then one of the twelve called judas iscariot went unto the chief priests and said unto them 
What will ye give me, and I will deliver him unto you? And they covenanted with him for thirty pieces of silver. And from that time, he sought the opportunity to betray him. So Judas Iscariot betrays Jesus, and he was planning all this stuff. Okay. And then it says um, that Mark said that the intended... They intended to take him by craft, which means in secret or private. Matthew used the word subtlety, which also can be translated to covertly. These leaders were concerned that they might trigger a riot if they took Jesus on the Passover, which shows how serious they were since Passover was only two days away. They were not just talking about the possibility of having Jesus put to death. They were looking for a plan that would work. So this was not new. They had been working towards this end for a long time, but only now would it work because Jesus was ready to fulfill his mission. And Robert J. Matthews in the book, Behold the Messiah says, quote, the Jewish leaders made several formal attempts to arrest and dispose of Jesus before the feat was actually accomplished. The record shows that the Pharisees particularly held several councils and counseled and consulted with others to plot the death of Jesus. When he was finally betrayed by Judas and taken captive, it was the culmination of more than two years of planning." End quote. Wow. Two years. That's crazy. I wonder if that two years has anything to do with why our young men serve two years. Hmm. And that their mission is over after two years because Jesus had that happen. Hmm. Something to think about anyways, uh, which I'm glad that our missionaries don't die after that, but that their mission just ends. Um, okay. So that, so let's see. And this is the same story told in John 12 with a few different details. Most scholars agree that this was likely the same event. And if this, that is the case, then the woman who anoints Jesus in Mark in Matthew's record is Mary, the sister of Lazarus and Martha. Jesus is at the home of Simon the leper who lives in Bethany. We do not know the story of Simon the leper, but his story must have been known, excuse me, to Mark and Matthew. It is likely that Jesus healed him because of, because if he was still a leper, others would not be in his home dining with him. So while in Simon's home, there came unto him a woman having that box with precious ointment. And it's alabaster is a type of stone and the ointment would have been a perfume that Jewish women commonly wore. In fact, many wore a flask around their neck filled with perfume. Whew. A couple of people in our ward would not be able to handle that. <laughs> Both Mark and Matthew called this particular perfume very precious. The woman, like Mary, likely Mary, uh, poured this perfume upon Jesus' head while he was sitting at meat, meaning he would have been reclined at the table. John adds that she also anointed Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Matthew and Mark record that, recorded that some of the disciple, disciples were filled with anger and called it a waste. John did not mention the other disciples, but put Judas at the center of the controversy and even pointed out the character of Judas in verse 6 when he said, this, he said not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Jesus defended Mary's actions and told the disciples to leave her alone and they will yet have opportunities to care for the poor because obviously the poor are going to be with him, right? But he was going to sacrifice himself. So she was giving him great care and love soon before his great suffering. She was anointing him for his burial. Then Jesus prophesied that as the gospel is taken into the whole world, this story will be known and told for a memorial of her. Why can't I say that? Word? She was not doing this to be known, though. But there, but here we are, right? Thousands of years later, learning her story and considering what we 
can do to show Jesus this kind of love. And also, um, the fact that it's also prophesying, like Christ was prophesying that everybody's going to know her, right? And it's true. That prophecy is fulfilled. Everyone's knowing her. Um, this is kind of similar to a talk that one of uh, my friends just gave, Sister Danielson. One of her dogs died, and so this past week, this was this past week, and so I ordered her a stuffy of her dog because she sent me a picture of her dog so I could find one that looked just like her dog. And, you know, it was great. I didn't even tell our family anything. But, and I had no idea, but she gave a talk on Sunday and basically flat out was like, and Sister Weiniger was so nice and she sent me a stuffy. And I was like, okay, I did not do it for that reason. <laughs> didn't realize I was going to get a shout out. And like, that's just awkward. Like, don't do that to people. Okay. Like, I know she's so nice and she didn't mean to like make me embarrassed or anything, but I don't like pointing people out like that. Cause then there's certain people that just have like those reservations towards certain people because they do certain things. See what I would have loved instead would have been like, and somebody from your ward did this, right? And that would have been even better, you know, because she's from the stake and she doesn't usually know everybody on board. And so at least that would have given that like ambiguity of like, oh, they're so nice and not like a specific person. And then you can see yourself as that person later. Like, what a good idea. Instead, if people are like, oh, Sister Weininger did that, of course she did. And then like, they don't think to do that because I did it or something, you know, like obviously it shouldn't offend people, but... I just think it's a little bit better when people are like, so-and-so did it and not specifically a person. See, now this is nice that we didn't really know who it was. Just the Lord didn't call her name, but said a woman, right? But of course, then we try to figure it out because we want to know who it was. Because at this point, we like to tell those kinds of stories about people. And so like later on, it's great to have that information. But kind of in the moment is a little different, you know. So anyway, I, I don't try and do that. But I try and just like, if I'm giving a talk about something like that, I just try and say somebody in this work, right? Because that's a little easier to swallow. Because it could be anybody. <clears throat> the shoe is in the car. Okay. Mark 14, 10 to 11, it says, And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priests to betray him unto them. And when they had heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Yes? Okay, Flora was needing some help with the shoe. Okay. So, now we're on Luke 22, 1 to 6. So, this is all the spot where Judas betrays um, Jesus Christ. So then Luke 22, 1 to 6. Now the feasting of the unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. Isn't that crazy? And he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains, how he might betray him unto them. And they were glad and covenanted to give him money. And he promised and saw opportunity to betray him unto them in the, ob in the absence of the multitude. Oh boy, crazy. Also, I do like that Luke identifies how Judas came about to betray Jesus. And he said that Satan entered Satan into Judas. And it's so true, like Satan's the one that gets us to do all the bad things that maybe we don't even want to do. Maybe even the ones we do want to do, but know that we ought not to do those things. Or just anytime we are not um, aligned with who we are and what our purpose is and what our mission is, is Satan there to distract us and entering 
Um, you know, I don't know what led Judas to, to do what he did. And I don't know, like, what his, you know, what his previous experience had been in the 12, right? I'm not going to pretend to know that. So I'm not going to tell you what happened. But I am going to tell you that when we make mistakes, when we treat others poorly, when we um, do those things that are not loving our neighbor and loving God, that is Satan entering into us to tempt us. Now, yes, you might be like, Satan doesn't possess my body. Well, okay, he does not, right? Unless you allow him. But at the same time, he's the one whispering the lies and whispering all those things, you know, because we know that voices come from three places. And one is the Holy Ghost. So Jesus Christ can tell us things through the Holy Ghost and through our own ideas, but then through Satan. And those three whispers that come to us are going to be into our mind because subconsciously we can't, or consciously we can't hear them, but subconsciously and our spirit can hear those things. And so that is how, and then we internalize it and we bring those things into our body, into our minds, and then we continue to work on those things, right? And so that's why they say you got to watch your thoughts because they lead to words and your words lead to action, right? So anyways, we got to watch our thoughts because our thoughts are ones that can lead us to do and make wrong choices. So, and clearly, you know, Jesus was going to be crucified or sacrificed and he was already knowing that this was going to happen. Um, and I don't know at what point, you know, he knew that he needed Judas to do that, to make a bad choice, right? And it's just, I'm glad that, you know, Christ was able to use that really bad choice of Judas to make it something that all of us can benefit from, you know, that his atonement for us is something that we all couldn't live without and we need it. And, you know, he turned that bad choice into a glorious blessing for all of us. And if, if he can turn someone's bad choice into a glorious blessing, what can he do with our bad choices for our own lives? You know, sometimes we make bad choices in life and, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. That's what they say. So, you know, that, you know, all the bad choices you made were not your favorite or you probably want to take them back or whatever, but Christ can turn those choices into working for your good, right? Into a blessing in your life using those things we can learn from our mistakes we can learn from our failures and continue to progress continue to rise above the evil that is trying to sway us trying to distract us trying to kill our spirits so anyways i i love that he put that in there then entered satan into judas yep because that is what happens when we make bad choices, that's where it comes from. Okay, and then Matthew 26, 17, 20 says, Now the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to such a man, and say unto him, The Master saith, My time is at hand, and I will keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them. And they made ready the Passover. Now when the even was come, he sat down with the 12. Now remember our Lamb of God orchestra performance that we love? This is, those are those scriptures that are in there. It's really cool. I feel like we need to listen to that. Listen to those songs right now. Okay. And then Mark 14, 12 to 17 says, And the first day of the unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, his disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou? that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover. And he said, he sendeth forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, go ye into the city and there shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. 
follow him. And wheresoever he shall go, go in, say ye to the good man of the house, the master saith, where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared there, make ready for us. And his disciples went forth and came unto that city, unto the city, and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And the evening he cometh with the twelve. Okay, so just a quote by President Thomas S. Munson here, and then we'll pause until tomorrow. It says the fa the failed he failed to finish. Okay, the rich young ruler preferred the comforts of earth to the treasures of heaven. He would not purchase the things of eternity by abandoning those of time. He faltered. He failed to finish. So it was with Judas Iscariot. He commenced his ministry as an apostle of the Lord. He ended it a traitor. For 30 paltry pieces of silver, he said he sold his soul. At last, realizing the enormity of his sin, Judas, to his patrons and tempters of his crime, shrieked, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And that's found in Matthew 27, 4. Captivated by their artificial attraction, many noble souls have stumbled and fallen, thus losing the crown of victory reserved for the finisher of life's great race, end quote. That's in April 1972 General Conference. It's true. So stay in the race is what that is supposed to be. Okay. Um, we are going to pause right there. We are on page three now. Okay. So we are back. And today we're going to actually be going to the primary day camp. It's a crazy day. And I apparently woke up early enough because Flora woke us up super early. But I was too sleepy, so I needed to go back to sleep. And I hate it when that happens because it's like you're made to wake up, but you're still sleepy. And then finally, when it's actually time to wake up, you don't want to wake up, so you snooze a ton. And then you don't wake up at the right time. Anyways, it's it's sad, but we got to keep moving. Okay, uh, let's see. John chapter 13. Oh. Uh, before we do that, we were just going to talk about the Passover meal really quick. So they usually had the Passover because it was a representation of um, the delivery that the Lord delivered people from Egypt. And um, the Jews were celebrating the Passover every year. And it was during the seventh plague in Egypt, and the angel of death passed over each home that had lamb's blood painted over its door, hence the name Passover. And so then those lambs were sacrificed to deliver Israel, which points towards the great and last sacrifice when the Lamb of God will be sacrificed to deliver all men from physical and spiritual death. So as, pass as part of the Passover, these are some of the things that we use to remember the deliverance of Israel from Egypt, okay? So the lamb, obviously, so it's a young year old lamb without blemish or broken bones was killed and roasted while symbolic, roasted whole symbolic of the lamb that delivered the Jews and ultimately of Jesus Christ. Then you have bitter herbs, such as parsley were eaten to represent the bitterness of captivity and slavery in Egypt. Oh, and just FYI, we did this super awesome Easter celebration this past year, and we gave charcuterie-style foods that were like the Passover meal. Um, when you, like, the Passover meal is not, like, a heavy meal either. It is definitely a meal that poor people would put together. Um, bitter herbs was also, like, arugula would put together, like, these little cups of the little things. And instead of lamb, because that would have been bad, um, we put together like turkey and ham. So, which ham would have never been eaten for Passover, but, but it was all charcuterie style. And it was with the like little rolled, like the sliced ham and sliced turkey. Anyways, we had like, everybody loved it. It was so good. Um, and we had like Greek stuff too, like cucumber and 
um, olives and stuff like that. But those, some of those things were not part of the Passover meal, but were just part of stuff that people would have back then. Um, okay, so so the bitter herbs and then unleavened bread. So bitter herbs were, you know, they represented the bitterness of slavery. Okay, then unleavened bread. So we use pita bread. So only bread with no yeast was allowed during Passover. It represents the hurried flight out of Egypt where they did not have time to let their bread rise. Makes sense. And then haroset is a mixture of diced up ap apples, nuts, and spices other and other ingredients. It represents the mortar the slaves had to make and use to build the Egyptian cities. So we actually kind of combined the apples with the bitter herbs and it was really good. So uh, it was like a nice bitter taste. It's like one of those apple salads, you know, you've tasted those. Um, and then salt water, we didn't actually give salt water to drink, but the salt water, we just gave water. <laughs> But the salt water was the bitter herbs are dipped into the salt water and represent the tears of the Israelites when they were captive in Egypt. Oh, that's, that is interesting, you know, because that's what your tears taste like when they're salty. Okay. Times it. Oh, you gotta go. All right. We're on John 13, 1 to 20. And... We are talking about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And I'm going to read this quote, and then we'll be done for right now. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland, October 1989, General Conference says, As the supper of the ultimate Passover was being prepared, Jesus was under the strain of deep and profound emotion. Only he knew what lay immediately ahead. But perhaps even he did not fully anticipate the depth of pain to which he must go before it could be said, the Son of Man hath descended below them all. <clears throat> in the midst of this meal and such thoughts, Christ quietly arose, girded himself as a slave or servant would, and knelt to wash the apostles' feet. This small circle of believers in this sacred, scarcely founded kingdom were about to pass through their severest trial, so he would set aside his own increasing anguish in order that he might yet once more serve and strengthen them. It does not matter that no one washed his feet. In transcendent humility, he would continue to teach and to cleanse them. He would be, he would to the final hour and beyond be their sustaining servant. As John wrote, who was there and watched the wonder of it all, Having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. So it had been, and so it was to be, through the night and through the pain and forever. He would always be their strength, and no anguish in his own soul would ever keep him from that sustaining role. End quote. October 1989, General Conference. And the first thought that comes to me after reading that is, you know, when we are suffering, are we still helping those around us? Are we still serving those that we love? You know, how are we treating those that we love when we have that internal toil, internal turmoil, internal struggle, internal suffering? You know, it does make me sad that nobody washed his feet, you know. Okay, and John 13, 18, he says, I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you, before it come, that when it is come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Okay, so the, the I am he meaning the Christ. And 20, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I said, receiveth me. 
And he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. Okay, in verse 18, he was talking about Judas, right? Because Judas was eating bread with him. But then he has lifted up his heel against him. Now, I don't know what the symbolism is with the whole heel and foot thing. But I do know that that's what it talks about um, in Genesis. That's what Heavenly Father talks about. How Satan will be able to uh, bruise our heel. But that we, with Christ, will have power to crush his head. And so, um, to crush Satan's head. And so, if Judas is said to lift up his heel against me, that just means that, like, that, to me anyway, it means, like, that he's trying to crush Christ. But notice how he just said, lifted up his heel against me didn't say he's trying to crush me with his heel, right? He just said that he lifted up his heel against me. Now, that means that there's pretty much no way, well, and there is no way to crush Christ, right? But that if we try and lift our heel against Christ, it's not going to be good for us, right? Because that's as far as we're going to get, just being able to lift our heel against, against him. Because it is going to be more powerful for us to side with Christ to be able to crush Satan. Because we're able, like, we get that promise. Whereas if we're on the wrong side, the furthest we'll get to go is lifting up our heel against someone. Because in the end, Christ is the one who does all the crushing. So... Anyways, I just, I thought that that was something that stood out to me. Okay, Matthew 26, 21 to 25 says, And as they did eat, he said, Verily I said unto you, that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful, and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? Okay, and now you guys remember that we love the Lamb of God again. We could play this song here. That is one of our favorite songs. It's, uh, I think it's Peter, the one that sings the Lord is it I song. Anyways, it said, and number 23, and he answered and said, he that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. So that's like the sign that he was telling them to look for. So of course, Nobody's going to dip their hand in the dish now. 24. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him. But woe unto that man whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. See, Christ doesn't say that about everybody. <laughs> and now, it, what I think is... What I think is interesting is that he said it had been good for that man if he had not been born. Because, not that it would have been good for Christ that he wouldn't have been born, right? But for that man. And so, our actions, whether kind or not kind, that bring us closer to Christ or, or away from him, are either good for us, or bad for us, right? And this is something that he says that this would have been, like it had been good for that man if he had not been born. Why? Because the torture, the turmoil, the internal struggle, the, the, the pain you're gonna feel from this action is gonna be so bad that you're going to wish that you weren't born, right? He didn't say, he did, He wasn't mean in a way that was like, you're going to wish you'd never been born, like, you know what I mean? But, like, like a threat, like, like, like that, you know? But I think it's more like, you're going to think, 
that it would have been better for you not to be born because of this sin that he's committing against the Savior. And if you've ever had serious sin, you actually know what that pain is of wishing that you had not been born because the pain is so much to bear. Too much to bear. When we go through sins and sorrows and we wish that we hadn't been born so we wouldn't be going through this pain, that's what Christ is talking about here. Okay, verse 25 says, Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? He said unto him, Thou hast said. Now, this is one of those statements where where it's like one of those things where it's like, you said it, not me, you know. I think that's what he means here, too. <laughs> um, so it is sad that that's what he chose to do. Now, I think what it would have happened anyway, it, like the people who were trying to kill him have been plotting already for two years, remember? So it was going to happen soon. So it's not like Judas needed to help him or help them. But he became part of that group and added to his own mortal pain because he chose to be against Christ. You know, when, when even if he would have done nothing, it would have, they would have still like the whole like Christ atonement and crucifixion would have still had to happen. But it's just that Judas didn't need to, to go there. You know, he didn't need to go there, but it was going to happen because it was going to happen anyway. Right. But instead he chose to be part of it. So remember, there's always choices for us. You don't have to be part of the wickedness. You don't have to be part of that group. You don't have to be part of the evil that is going on. Because guess what? It's going to happen anyway, and you're not going to want to be part of it later. You're going to wish you weren't part of it. Okay, Mark 14. Oh, you know what? Let's see. So Mark 14, 18, 21 also says the same thing. And then Luke 22, 21 to 23 um, so it goes over the same thing. And then John 13, 21 to 30 says the same thing. So, well, similar things. Each one says a little something different, but I'm going to let you read those and compare them. Okay, so just I wanted to read this quote. It says that these apostles were not without imperfections. Concerned that they, would, that they could be whom Jesus was speaking of, they each asked, Lord, is it I? What a great question to ask, and so much better than, is it he? So, you know, reflect on your own commitment to Christ and not worry about other people, right? I tell you guys all the time, you guys can't tattletale on each other. That's not going to help you. Just tell me about you and I'll find out about others. Okay. Okay. So here's President Dieterich Uchtdorf in 2014 uh, October General Conference. Quote, he says, I wonder what each of us would do if we were asked that question by the Savior. Would we look at those around us and say in our hearts, he's probably talking about Brother Johnson. I've always wondered about him. Or, I'm glad Brother Brown is here. He really needs to hear this message. Or would we, like those disciples of old, look inward and ask that penetrating question, is it I? In these simple words, Lord, is it I, lies the beginning of wisdom and the pathway to personal conversion and lasting change. None of us likes to admit when we are drifting off the right course. Often we try to avoid looking deeply into our souls and confronting our weaknesses, limitations, and fears. Consequently, when we do examine our lives, we look through the filter of biases, excuses, and stories we tell ourselves in order to justify unworthy thoughts and actions. But being able to see ourselves clearly 
is essential to our spiritual growth and well-being. If our weaknesses and shortcomings remain obscured in the shadows, then the redeeming power of the Savior cannot heal them and make them strengths. End quote. Ooh, that's so good. So Jesus mentions that it was written or prophesied of, therefore it must happen that the Son of Man, Christ, goeth, meaning that he suffer and die. But that does not take away the guilt of those who would bring it to pass. Right? That's kind of what I was saying. So Elder Bruce R. McConkie says, quote, Thus, in the sense here spoken, they would have been better off never to have been born, never to have left their pre-existent home, the home where the eternal Father presides in glorious immortality, end quote. True. And as the disciples asked, is it I? So did Judas ask that question. Quote, then Judas, oh, and this is a quote from James E. Talmadge, says, then Judas Iscariot, who had already covenanted to sell his master for money, who at this moment probably feared that silence might arouse suspicion against himself, asked with a brazen audacity that was ver veritably devilish. Master, is it I? With cutting promptness, the Lord replied, thou hast said. End quote. And that's Jesus the Christ, chapter 33. So, whew, yeah, could you imagine? Like, he is going to be feeling that. Okay, um, then in John 13, 21 to 30, says, he, he then lying on Jesus' breast, saying, saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, he it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he said, and when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot the son of Simon, and after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag that Jesus had said unto him, by those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor, he then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. So Judas left. Okay. So interesting. Okay. And so notice the act of service Jesus showed Judas. Jesus dipped the bread into sop and gave it to Judas. And after this moment, Judas turned. Jesus, discerning Judas's state, told him that that thou doest do quickly. And Judas left being the treasurer among the apostles and the one who carried the funds. The others wondered if he was leaving to make a purchase for the feast. And then in Matthew 26, 26 to 30, it says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink. Ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which he, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung on him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Okay, so I think it's interesting that the Savior excused Judas basically was like okay now you can go since you're gonna be doing that thing anyway you know to be able to do it and and betray him because of what was in his heart you know and <clears throat> then he did the sacrament and so I think it goes like I think that says something about like where is your heart? Like, don't take the sacrament. You know, it's it's not something you want to take when your heart's not in it. And when you're not making choices to come unto Christ because 
the sacrament is going to help you come unto Christ. And so that's interesting, you know, that Judas, and I didn't really know this, but Judas was excused so that, and then Jesus uh, initiated the sacrament. So just something, you know, to think about. Okay, and then we cover the sacrament three more times, or so that all of the gospels have have that mentioned. So we have Matthew twenty six twenty six to thirty, or just kidding. And then we have Mark. Uh, sorry, I had just read that. <laughs> uh, Mark fourteen twenty two to twenty five. Then Luke twenty two fifteen to twenty. Okay. And then this is the quote from President Joseph Fielding Smith. He says, quote, the covenant made by members of the church each time they partake of the sacrament should con constantly be uppermost in their minds. Never should they eat the bread or drink the water without a full realization of what they are doing and what it means to them, end quote. And then Jesus then teaches that he will not again partake of the sacrament until the second coming, when he will again partake of the sacrament with all of us. So we can read about that um, great event that will be like, and what it'll be like in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 27, 5 to 14. It says, Marvel not, for the hour cometh that I will drink of the fruit of the vine with you on earth and with Moroni, and also with Elias, and also with John, the son of Zacharias, and also Elijah, and also with Joseph and Jacob and Isaac and Abraham, and also with Michael or Adam, and also with Peter and James and John, and also with all those whom my Father hath given me out of the world. And then we're going to read this last bit. John thirteen thirty one to 38 says, Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me. And as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall, men, shall all men know that ye are my disciples if you have love one to another. And then you can sing that song, love one another. And Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither, whither goest thou? Oh, hold on a second. I think I forgot to. Well, we'll see. Um, we'll just keep going. Whither thou, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou cannot fall, cannot, canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why can I not, why can, whew, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Oh, that'd be intense. Remember that? Peter's denial. Okay, so Elder Bruce Armour Conkey says this in the Millennial Messiah. He says, Before the Lord Jesus descends openly and publicly in the clouds of glory, attended by all the hosts of heaven, before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, sends terror and destruction from one end of the earth to the other, before he stands on Mount Zion, or sets his feet on all of it, or utters his voice from an American Zion or a Jewish Jerusalem, before all flesh shall see him together, before any of his appearances, which taken together comprise the second coming of the Son of God, before all these, there is to be a secret appearance to selected members of his church. He will come in private to his prophet and to the apostles, then living, those who have held keys and powers and authorities in all ages from Adam to present will also be present and further and further all the faithful members of the church then living and all the faithful saints 
of all the ages past will be present. It will be the greatest congregation of faithful saints ever assembled on planet Earth. It will be a sacrament meeting. It will be a day of judgment for the faithful of all ages. And it will take place in Davies County, Missouri, at a place called Adam on Diamond. End quote. Okay, and that is Elder Bruce Norconkey, Millennial Messiah, page 578 to 79. Now, might all think we need to go get some houses over in Davies County, Missouri. <laughs> and it would be a great idea to be prepared. Um, okay, and then there's... But again, nobody knows when that's gonna when that's gonna actually happen. So, you know. Okay, um, John thirteen thirty one to thirty five. When we were reading that, it says, "Now that Judas has left, Jesus knows that things are in motion, which will lead to his arrest and crucifixion." Jesus alludes to this by stating, "Now, the Son of Man glorified, and God." is glorified in him. This have, this is Heavenly Father's work, and Jesus is fulfilling it. Jesus speaks in the future tense and notes that once his atonement is accomplished, God will be glorified, and in return, Jesus will also be glorified. Inseparably connected with Jesus' glory that he will soon receive is Jesus' separation from his disciples. He tenderly calls them little children. These disciples will soon, and I think, you know, when he calls them little children, I think it's because he knows that they're still learning, you know. We're, we're all so young in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he taught, but especially them, right? So he calls them little children. These disciples will soon be on their own, like a child without a parent. He is only with them a little while more, and then they will, know, they will not be able to go where he is going. Up until this point, whenever the apostles and Jesus have departed from one another, they have always re reunited and continued their work side by side. But this will no longer be, he will not be with them. Jesus then gave them a commandment. They, he says, that ye love one another as I have loved you. They have experienced the power of Christ's love. And because of that, they can better love others as they seek to mirror that love. This is how you identify disciples of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Those who are true students of, of his, they have experienced the love of Christ. And then they seek to love each other with that same kind of love. Disciples should be united and linked through love. And it should be obvious that others can be able to recognize a Christian disciple because of their Christ-like love for one another. So after Jesus tells the apostles that he's only with them for a little while longer, Peter asks him where he's going. So Jesus then repeats that it's somewhere where Peter cannot come. Peter showing his great love for Jesus, thinking that he cannot go because it is too dangerous, tells Jesus that he would be willing to die for him. Then likely to Peter's shock and great dismay, Jesus repeated what Peter had said and then tells him, that this night he will not only lay down his life, but will in fact deny Jesus. Dude, that would be the worst, right? Okay, so the rest of Matthew 26, Mark, 20, Mark 14, Luke 22, will be covered in two weeks when we study about Gethsemane. Um, next week we're studying John 14 to 17 and learn what Jesus taught his disciples before he departed to Gethsemane. Thank you for showing up. I love you. And we'll see you soon. And P.S., we definitely should look into getting some real estate over in uh, Missouri because I've always wondered about that. Like if it's for real that that's where it's going to be, why aren't a billion people going out and getting some property over there? Or maybe, I don't even know, maybe people have and I'm just really late at the game. But I think I'm going to research a little bit of real estate over there. So... <laughs> I think that would be a good idea, at least to see what, see what's up, you know? It's probably popular. Who knows? I guess you can't know until you find out. So anyway, that's more of a wonder, you know? 
than a notice. And sometimes we have those things, you know, if the Lord has revealed something in the scriptures and we wonder about it and our spirit is telling us something to question or to ask or to have that wonder, then follow through, like see where that takes you, you know, like, hey, I am interested in this Davies County, Missouri place called Adam on Diamond. I've heard a lot about it. Maybe I should look into it. And maybe you could, you know, so um, that could help you in your scripture study, but also in, you know, following your promptings. So you never know where it could lead you. So that's what I'm going to be, you know, wondering about this week. Plus, I was asked to give a talk yesterday. And so I'm going to be doing that. Oh, and I forgot to tell you guys, we did a, uh, Finn and Faust did a children's entrepreneur market and it was awesome. You guys sold crepes. Do you remember that? And Faust thought of the idea or Faust thought of the name to call it Crepe Kings. And I was like, oh yeah. And then I actually looked it up and Crepe Kings with a C is already taken, but Crepe Kings with a K was not. And then Faust was like, yeah, but I was thinking of it with, with a K. And so I'm like, perfect. So anyway, we probably, by the time you listen to this, we'll still own that domain, CrepeKings.com. So, you know, if you're thinking about making a biz and you like food and you like cooking, there it is. There's an idea that you can uh, resurrect, if you will. <laughs> um, okay. Love you guys. Bye.